Good morning, church. Probably don't need this guitar pick for preaching. Hopefully it didn't come to that. Today I'll be preaching in song. <laughs> oh, where's everybody going? <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. We'll be in, a, you guessed it, Malachi. Not quite done yet. Getting close. The uh, Majoring on the Minors uh, series was a uh, bold choice, I think exciting for us as a as pastors to cover four books, the last four books, if you will, uh, of the New Testament, the way we you know, categorize these two things, and to see the cool connective tissue between the Old Testament and the New Testament when you get to that seam in the middle. Um, if you haven't seen or felt like, well, they're not really talking about Jesus a whole bunch, uh, please go back and listen again. Maybe Malachi is not addressing Jesus Christ by name. But all the, uh, the principles and things that we'll be talking about, uh, especially on days like today, are so apropos, so on point to what I think the church today is struggling with on both sides of that. The leadership of the church, the organization of the church, the, the kind of organization structure, if you will, the machine that is our church, as well as sitting as a member in a congregation. And how do these things work together? Um, so I call today's uh, sermon, Careful What You Wish For. And I'll be honest, it's really going to feel heavy-handed towards leadership. And you might say, oh, good, finally, they're yelling at the leaders, but not at us. And that's great. Well, hopefully I'm not yelling at anybody, um, first and foremost. But there's an interesting thing when it comes to church leadership. <laughs> it, if it feels like it's an us and them, and like, well, that's, a, that's someone that's a, a leader, and uh, that really doesn't apply to me. Do know that everything that God calls leaders to do, the way they should act, treat people, conduct themselves, is what the entire body is called to do. Um, the leaders are supposed to be those people that have demonstrated that better than others. It isn't, hey, the leaders are supposed to be pretty good. The rest of us can do whatever we want. Um, I wish it were so. That way we wouldn't have to worry about anything. And when we study Malachi, we see that... The, they very much funded that same exact thing. And that leads us to, to uh, today's reading. So we'll be in Malachi 2, 1 through 9. A pretty short passage, I suppose, but there's a lot of meat here. And uh, I think you'll see a trend beginning. Um, somebody's continuing from what we studied there at the end of Malachi 1. So if you've got your Bible, follow along with. And if not, uh, read with me on the screen. Malachi 2. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen... If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Let's pray. 
Uh, Lord, when we study these passages, it's tempting to, on the one hand, ignore them, say, oh, they don't apply to us, we don't live in these times, we're under a new covenant, uh, we've been forgiven. Uh, while that's all true, the, uh, the, the, the truth of the Scripture, speaking here specifically the condition of their hearts, still applies a great deal to us, Lord. The other side of that, Lord, is that this is not just a Scripture that is designed for us to align with us 100% and say it's speaking directly to me, and I know exactly what it means, and I'm going to change my life accordingly, or so on and so forth. This was prophesied by you, Lord, through Malachi to a specific place, and we should learn from it, Lord. Whether we sit in a position of leadership, we sit under leaders, help us to take a passage like this and understand the depths of what you expect from us and how we should compare and contrast that with what we desire, especially if what we desire doesn't seem to be trending towards you, Lord. Help us correct that today. In your sense of my pray. Amen. So careful what you wish for. We'll start off here with knowing is not doing. I want to be very clear. Chapter 1, the first half especially, was God explaining what he wanted. Here's the idea of worship. Here's what I'd like you to do. Here's the protocol I've laid down. This is all very clear. I want you to know, church, if you feel that God is ambiguous in what he wants from you, I've got some good news in that he is not. Now, making arbitrary, I say arbitrary, I don't mean, I'm not trying to sound flippant here, that there are big decisions in life that maybe aren't perfectly clear. We pray about that, we consult other people, we, we use the resources that God has given us for those, but if, when it comes down to brass tacks of what God wants from us, it's very clear what he wants from us. He's made it very clear. We're supposed to put God in a place of absolute authority in our lives, revere him and worship him. Have no other gods before him, no other idols, care for one another better than we care for ourselves. These are very clear things. It's no different here. What God's, asked, uh, uh, what God's asked of the people and the priesthood in Malachi's time. The Israelites and their leaders know what to do. They've been told the truth. They understand this. They could probably recite it. But chapter 2 here starts with some pretty stern accusations that quite frankly follow on from the end of chapter 1. The problem here is they refuse to do what God commanded. Now, you might say, well, I, thought it was, I didn't think we were talking about works. Isn't it faith that matters? This is true. This is true. What God's not addressing here are people that are like, hey, in order to be saved, <clears throat> you better do this stuff. What God's talking about, I want to make it very clear as we move through this, is your failure to do these things while being and claiming that you're priests of mine indicates that you are not saved. Faith without works is dead. That's going to come later in the Bible, but that's what we're seeing right here. Y'all aren't doing what you're supposed to do, and you know what it is you're supposed to do. I just mentioned in our small group that Malachi, the first part especially, reads a lot like a parent talking to a child. It's going to continue some today. As I'm preaching this, I sound like I'm, you know, you know, you know better. <clears throat> I heard a lot of these phrases growing up all the time. I taught you better than that. You know better than that. I'm ashamed of that. Why are you doing that? I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. God's going a little further than that. I never once had my parents say, I'm going to rub dung on your face if you do that again. But I'm sure they thought it a time or two. Maybe they did say it for all I know. But suffice to say, what God's doing here is he's dealing with people in charge that are not in charge of anything except their own destruction. And the people around them are looking to them to represent God as his priests 
and they're dropping the ball. And this infuriates God. And they're not dropping the ball like, whoops, we screwed up. I'm sorry, I, I mishandled this. Or This isn't a mistake. This is decidedly bad behavior. They're choosing to ignore God. So chapter 2 is targeting leadership, which is a good reminder. The title of the sermon, careful what you wish for. If you are not willing to do what God commanded, avoid leadership in God's church. If somebody disagrees with that statement, I'd love to debate it further. But if you are struggling to even believe what is in the word, taking on any kind of position of authority or charge in the church is a really bad idea. Countless times today is no different. God cautions against that. Leaders will get a double dose of whatever they deal out in many regards. That's exactly what's happening here. If Ezra read this, you're like, sheesh. Man, God is mad. Yeah, God is mad. And this isn't just, whoops, I didn't know, or I was being selfish and I abandoned the Lord. I took a bunch of folks with me. That's, that's not a place to be. You do not want to stand opposite the Lord of hosts and ignore him and tell other people that it's okay to ignore him. In this chapter, we see leaders that God appointed. I want to make this clear as well. In today's world, somebody can almost usurp. I could go out and start a new church today. Get a whole bunch of followers, tell them what I want to hear. Hey, I got good news. It's maybe everything you've heard, but it's really exciting. You can do that today. And this time, especially here in, in Israel, no. Levi started the Levitical. The book of Leviticus is based on the rules and laws given to those that were supposed to be priests. Describe very strict code of ethics and honor and life living and all this. It's really laid out in great detail. God said, if you're of the line, that's your job. Those are the priests, none other. Now the people will come into the priesthood, but that was the line set aside by God. So what we see here are God has said, you all are the priests. I'm making you the priests. Based on who you're born from, that's how it's going to be. Aspiring to leadership, effectively impossible. So some of this might make you feel like, well, that's a little bit of a, you know, I didn't ask for this job, right? Anybody ever, I didn't even want to be here. <laughs> Fine. However, you are here. If you are serving in God's church, if you're a part of the kingdom, and you're in the middle of something, and you're like, I don't even want to be here. Time to take stock. If you're in leadership, really, should have done that yesterday. But if you feel like this is a joke, and I, I, you know, when, when's the time for me? I'm so tired of God. We just talked to a small group about oh, what a weariness this is. Oh, it's just whew, red flags all over the place. In today's world, we do encourage folks to strive for God's anointing and leadership. If you're here several years ago, we went through you know, the letters of Timothy and talked a lot about what God calls leaders to do, the manner in which he calls them. And it's, lo and behold, just like this. You are anointed by God to do so. Now, at this time, it was based off of lineage in your family. Now, it's based off of the Holy Spirit doing what the Holy Spirit does. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, can you feign it? Of course you can. What you had here were priests in the Levitical priesthood that were feigning priesthood based only on their lineage. They did nothing else required of them. They kind of threw out everything that God said they were supposed to do and said, hey, look at me. I'm wearing the big, you know, heir of Levi, bomb badge, walking around. Hey, it looks like the priest is here. You know, yeah, this guy, he'll cheat you out of everything, you know, under the sun. But don't worry, he's the priest because, you know, we did the genealogy, so he's in. God has made this person a priest. They are dropping the ball, and because of that, other people are failing. 
makes God very mad. Same thing today. If I drop the ball, if I mislead, if I errantly teach the Word of God, I am in big trouble. Bigger trouble than those that hear the errant Word of God and believe it. That's bad. No question. But it's worse for me. So we see a strong start, a, a strong start here. And now, O priest, this command is for you. I like to imagine the priest like, oh, here we go. Hey, it's a prophecy for us. So imagine them perking up. And then imagine their faces as, as he continues to prophesy. And it just keeps coming. One after another after another. Clearly, God has had enough. You'll notice how the ifs quickly become senses because God already knows. It's the same, it's the same notion, right? If you do this and if you do this, then I'll do this. Now, since you're not going to do that, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'll do it. It's interesting because God knows that they're not going to obey. God's not up there waiting to see what they're going to do. We talk about this all the time. God is sovereign. He's outside of our timeline. He is all-knowing. He has seen everything unfold. He knows history, present, and future. It's all at his disposal. He knows no matter what happens, they're not going to obey. He's telling them, if you would wise up, you'll be okay. But you won't. I've been spoken to like this, and it's infuriating, especially when it's true. Anybody ever talk to you that way? Well, if you just get here on time, we wouldn't have this problem. But you won't. Oh, yes, I will. Do you? No, probably not. Because they were right. They've been watching you for a while. They know you pretty well. Especially when I hear this from people that care deeply for me. Parents, close friends, my wife. You know, if we should be on time one time, if we could get up a little early, but you don't. Oh, I will. I won't. I say I will because I don't like being told that you know what I'm going to do. You don't know me. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? You don't know me. Uh, uh, Jerry Springer passed away recently, but that was like a constant thing. No matter what you said, it was absolute truth. You're here. I'm not here. You don't know me. I do know you, and you're here. This is God. You're priests. You're scumbags. You're not doing the job. You're ignoring it. You're doing whatever you want. If you'd stop that and follow me and do what I told you, this would be okay. But you won't. And they scoffed. I'm sure well, you don't have any idea what we're capable of. Oh, believe me, I do. When you hear things like that from God, take heed. If God's speaking to you about, man, you're failing, you're dropping the ball, listen. If you feel like I'm struggling through this and I, I got I to gotta make a change, I can't speak for everybody ever. But if, if there's someone in leadership at a church or whatever else that feels like they got to step away and take a break, good for them. Good. Do it. Take a break. Sort it out. These priests would have done well to be in prayer and fasting over some conditions of their heart, but they're not doing it. They're capitalizing. They're doubling down on their sin. Some of these things we call moral failures come because we expect priests to always be okay. We just assume they're fine. Not the case. If you read the Word of God, you will find that most, if not all, of God's chosen leaders, the men he's described as men after his own heart, good, upright men, struggled with moral failings to horrific degrees. The difference is their actions weren't designed to leverage more power for them, take what God gave them, and, and double down on it in infinitum to keep growing in stature. They were mistakes and they repented of them. And they said it was wrong to do that. And God forgave them. These priests are not doing that. Here comes trouble and make it double. If it sounds like God's quite harsh on these priests, he is quite harsh. This is the price of poor leadership. If it sounds harsher than someone has just gone astray, it is. 
Going astray, not ideal. Get ready to be rebuked and brought back into the fold, right? There's an ocean we say, uh, you know, you, if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. Sometimes that can be used uh, horrifically to try to justify abusive practices. But the reality is, it's designed to show us that if we do not listen to the Word of God, we should expect the rod of God. The rod of God will get your attention. Has anyone ever been switched? My grandmother had a horse crop. If the horse crop came out, you were in big trouble. The horse crop hurt. A little leather loop at the end of a stick, but it felt like it, it could inject acid into your skin. That stopped whatever was going on, even for a short amount of time. Yeah, you got your attention. The rod works. We ought not force the hand of God to grab the rod. We don't want that. God's not saying, hey, guess what? I'm going to beat everybody into submission. But if you are his and you won't listen, get ready for the rod. Here, their offspring will be rebuked and humiliated. God's passing this down. You've led my people astray, now I'm going to lead your people astray. I'm dealing to you what you're dealing to me. This command is part of the covenant that God made with Levi. Um, covenant with Levi? Not a, the Levitical covenant isn't spoken about very much, you saw, which is uh, really great, by the way. You might think that, well, you know, I spoke about that. We didn't. But there's a lot of pretty big, let's call them marquee or, you know, preeminent covenants in the Old Testament we talk about. Levitical covenant is not one. It's more of a, maybe a covenant in passing. But it's spoken about here. God's telling them the covenant that he made. That covenant did establish a priesthood. But in this covenant, what we see is that their share of the promised land was the worship of God. All the other tribes got a chunk. Physical thing, but not, not the Levites. Your share is in God. So the land can go away. Matter of fact, that's all going to get incinerated one day if you know how the book ends. But this, your inheritance, you get it right now. That very thing is what God is incensed about here, now, in this passage. They are squandering their inheritance with pathetic, errant worship of God. The interesting thing about the Levitical inheritance is it's the inheritance that we have. That's our inheritance right now. We're gathered in this place. We are able to lift the name of God on high. We are able to engage in worship with Him. That wonderful feeling. It is an emotional thing too, but the wonderful feeling where the Holy Spirit begins to well up in us and remind us of things we need to repent of and convict and how we're going to Talk to this person. I've got to make that right, and I need to square this away, but I've got to keep God in his right place, and I've got to knock some of this stuff out of my life. And I, get, I want to get it together. God, I want to put you in a place. That happening is us engaging in worship of the, of the Most High and the Holy Spirit working in our lives at the request of the, the Son who died out for our sins, at the behest of the Father that, that says they're mine. All of that is happening right now for us. It started here in Levi. This covenant was one of peace. So what the priests are doing here, the frustration that God has with them, he will have with us. The difference now is at this time, you had a, a genealogy and you could say, y'all are the Levites. Here, today, if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's talking to you. He's talking to you. Not to me and Mike. Not to Leah or James or Emma. He's talking to you. If you're hearing this and you're a believer, this is you. You are a priest. The priesthood, the new covenant, every believer is a priest to God. We sing a song about this. 
talking about in Revelation, that that's what we're called to be, priests to God, not priests to one another. That was some troubling scripture for me in study, but it's true. So then why can't you be more like Levi? Anybody ever heard this? If you have siblings or friends that are really good, good friends that don't act out, don't steal stuff or pick on people or cheat on tests, why can't you be more like so-and-so? Well, that's what he's saying here. Look how Levi did. Levi taught the truth. He didn't lead anybody astray with deceit. He was a man of peace, kept my commands, thus keeping at peace with God. If you want to know what peace is, this isn't peace at war. It's not like Levi put, a, put down his weapons and refused to fight. Levi wasn't at war with God. He wasn't fighting with the Lord. He was a peaceful guy. Levi did that which a priest ought to do. And the people revered him for it. They didn't loathe him. He wasn't seen as a joke or, you know, too soft on crime or any of that. Levi was a priest. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a policeman. He was a priest. And the people loved that. He could give them the truth of God, help them understand priestly things, go to the Word, study it together, be in prayer. Let's think about that. Let's talk about that. Let me, let me help you out from a priestly perspective. Not necessarily a car mechanic or real estate agent or hairdresser, but a priest. Malachi's audience of priests, by contrast, are liars, cheats, and deceivers. And when we talk about this, a covenant corrupted, it is super on point here. The covenant of Levi has been perverted into a platform for worldly gain. The covenant made with Levi was to establish the priesthood. The priests would be taken care of by the other tribes. They don't need land of their own. You'll... You will give to the priests who serve me. They will be supported. The priests, the, the, the line of Levi will be supported by all the other tribes. But rather than enjoying their inheritance in the Lord, their inheritance in the Lord, that's what they got. No one else got that. Just them. You get, you get your inheritance right now. Your inheritance is leading my people in worship of me, my law. You're going to learn to love it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But they got all the nice houses and the fields and the animals and the fine meats, and I want that. But in order to get it, I'm going to have to cut some corners. I'm going to have to take the Word of God, basically throw it out, but remind everybody that I'm a priest, and they owe me because they have to take care of me. Remember that part of the law? Well, guess what? That still holds, and here's what we're going to have to do. This is exactly the opposite of what God intended and commanded we talk about intent, sometimes we could debate that. But here, it's a command. It's very clear what God wants them to do. They take their inheritance. They abandon it. They start leveraging their position to gain power and wealth, promising some people certain things. You can get access to the temple a little early if you come. Oh, okay, okay. And if that sounds like, well, I'm grabbing another deal in that world, that is exactly the problem we face today as a church. And now you get what they deserve. God plays a reverse card on them. If you're a play uno, you get reversed, everything changes direction. He begins to treat them the exact way they've treated God and his people. Everything that's called out here, and God does this all over the place. The plagues in Egypt were targeted at each of the gods. Boom, 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 boom. All the plagues represented a god in Egypt. Uh, I remember learning that later on. Like, oh, that's so cool. Of course it's cool. God knows what he's up against. They're claiming their gods are so powerful. Powerful like what? The, the, what, you got the frog god? Boom, how about a million frogs? Where's your frog god now? Well, you got the God in charge of uh, health, well, boom, river's blood. Fix it. No, you can't, right? Because there's no other gods but me. 
So what they've done here is they've smeared poop all over God's good, good word, all of his law. They've thrown it all out. They've ruined everything. They've sullied it all. Sick animals, dead animals, stolen animals. Come in all hours of the day. Keep the doors open. They're showing off. They're putting on big performances. They won't work if you don't pay them. The exact opposite of what, what, what God has called them to do. And God's not just doing this for, for funsies. He's doing it to show them how serious it is. This isn't just God saying, you know what, I'm sick of this. I'm gonna, it's time for me to flex. I'm going to flex something. No, that's not what he's doing. Y'all treat me like garbage. I've had enough. So you understand what you have done, the seriousness of what you have done. I'm going to do to you what you have done to me. You have taken my people, my children, and you've led them astray. You've taught them lies. Now they're stuck in a place of deceit. They have to work their way back slowly. Well, same for you. But here in Malachi 2.9b, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways. That's the real key. This isn't uh, God's rolled the dice and decided it's fallen on you. No, y'all failed me with intent. You chose to do these terrible things. And inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, then it's coming right back at you. So, Points to ponder. Number one, do what God commands. There's a famous scene, to me it's famous, in Ghostbusters, where they're up at the, at the end of the movie, if you've never seen it, spoiler alert, they're fighting the God, the, the God thing from another dimension or whatever it is, and the, the thing appears and says, are you a God? And one of the guys says, no, and then die and shocks them. And one of the guys looks at the dude that answered and said, if someone asks if you're a God, you say like, bad, big mistake. That's what, I, that, that's what I'm thinking of as I wrote this. If God commands you to do something, you say yes. If not, don't be surprised if you get rebuked. If you ignore God, be prepared for rebuke. Well, I wasn't ready. Well, you should have been. Well, I didn't know what God commanded you. Well, <laughs> there's a book filled with that. Got questions? We may not have answers, but we'll do our honest best. So step one, do what God commands. That's on you. I don't know what God commands. Fix that. Who's God? Fix that. What do you mean by do? Fix that. Let's fix it. You can talk about that stuff, but do what God commands. But if you don't, be prepared for rebuke. Rebuke is a nice word that church, churches use. I think hardly anybody uses rebuke anymore other than the church. But rebuke is a wide range of things, all the way from over here, sweetie, to dung to the face, down you go, curse to your uh, siblings and offspring. Careful. You don't want rebuke. If you do what God commands, no need for rebuke. But if you don't, be prepared for rebuke. If you lead others to ignore God, be prepared for even more rebuke. And finally, know that we have a priest better than Levi that can restore us. God's talking about a Levitical covenant here because there is no messianic covenant fulfilled yet we know how the story ends so unlike these folks that were assigned priesthood and really had no way around if that or otherwise it's different for us know that if these first three are troublesome there is a way home number one do what god commands i'm probably not getting a lot of pushback here i don't think anyone's going to scowl at it no, not me i don't think you have to do what god commands no of course we all would say well yes absolutely should we do what God commands? Yes. <laughs> okay. But in order to do what God commands, you need to know what God commands. This does not mean doing what the pastor, elder, committee chair, etc. commands. 
It's God who matters. Not me or Mike. Now, you might, well, now wait a minute. In 1 Timothy, it says overseer. That's true. Yes. God has called us and appointed us to this. But if we begin to divert, to, to divert away from the word of God, ignore us all the way through and through. And I would ask you to please engage us about this. Don't just walk off. If there's a problem, we want to know. Uh, I believe both of us feel strongly that our desire is to do what God commands, even in leadership. And that may not be perfect every time. I'll be the first to admit that there's a lot that I don't know and would like to know. It, but it, at the end of the day, it's on each of us to know what God calls us to do. We talked a little bit about this in our small group, just in happenstance, that there's a lot of places that are being, where pastors are very heavy-handed, and folks are following along, and they're going to fall back on this, but they, they said it was important. Like, did the Word say it was important? Like, what Word? The Word of God. Well, I never read that. Well, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. If you listen to the Word of Men, when we sing a song today about the doctrines of men that divide, there's a reason that we don't say some doctrines of men that divide. I challenge you to find a doctrine of man that doesn't divide. Good luck. Speed limits. Divide us. They do. There are people that will exceed them and people that won't. I'm not saying speed limits are bad, but these doctrines, what man does is we find something wrong and we make a rule about it. Now that you're either in or you're out on the rule. God's doctrines don't do that. His, his doctrines are all designed to to, to bring us back together, to restore us to Him. Those are the ones that matter. So as we start constructing additional doctrines over and above all these other things that, that we say matter, those might accidentally take the driver's seat, just like what's happening here in Malachi. Look around at all the churches that are around here today. You're not going to find any two that preach the same thing. They're all over the place. If it's not in the Word, then it's not in the Word. That's, that's what it boils down to. If it's not in the Word, then it is not in the Word. I'm not saying it's all bad. You should not speed on the highway. You shouldn't get pulled over and say, well, I didn't find the speed limit in the Word of God, officer. That's a really bad answer. You're probably going to go to jail for that. And then you can talk to the judge about it. But it's not going to work out because those things do matter. But that is not what we're here to do fundamentally. Our worship is not of, of, of the doctrines of men. And then, and then obviously if you ignore that, be prepared for rebuke. God's punishment has a purpose. I think I changed the word punishment two or three times. Well, I'm using punishment similar to rebuke, Right? God's punishment is designed to restore, unless it's not. I mean, God makes unrighteous vessels. But I think the unrighteous vessels kind of know it. Just like these priests in Malachi, they're going to throw their hands and say, oh, here we go again, right? No matter what we do, it's wrong. Poor us. Oh, woe is us. We tried so hard. Well, you didn't really try that hard. It could have been a lot easier for you, but you worked really hard getting yourselves rich and powerful, ignoring God, knowing you're doing it, not caring. You care now because here comes the rod. Anyone ever parented a kid or dealt with a kid that was about to get punished and watched them immediately put on a repentance? Oh, I didn't mean it. I'm so sorry. There's a bunch of memes about you're playing with your, your brother and you hurt him, and it's like, shh, shh, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Why do we do that? You're not hurt, you're fine, you're fine. Just get up, just get up, get up. Because you know if that kid is hurt at your hand, you're going to get hurt at someone else's hand who's probably bigger and stronger. So we fix it. Don't, no, 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 no. That's where the priests, if they're doing anything, that's what it is. We're fine, they're fine. We're getting all the good animals now. We'll fix it now. God's like, no, you won't. Or you might for two weeks, but that's only to help yourselves, not to honor me. God's punishment is not just turning screws on us for God's pleasure. 
There's one person that we know for sure it pleased God to crush. You know who it was? Jesus Christ. Why did it please God to crush Jesus? Because he hated his son? No. He loved his son. But that was the means to restore us to him. So when God comes to us and he acts a little bit upset that we're not doing what he told, he knows, on the other hand, I destroyed my firstborn for you. And you can't be bothered to do the minimum. Oh, give me the rod. No, 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 we're fine, we're fine, we'll be, we'll be better. Rebuke will not be pleasant, but it will be proportionate. Here, this is not random. The smearing of feces on the faces, the dung, that's the dung of their sacrifices. What they've done is smeared the, the, the dung of their sacrifices. They've ignored all the cleanliness rituals. They're way far afield on what they're supposed to be doing, and they've, they've sullied and made filthy the house of God. Thus, God. You have basically rubbed poop on God's face. Well, now here it comes for you and your kids. I can't believe you do that to me. Likewise. God's rebuke is intended to restore us to right standing with him. This is not the plan we per should pursue. <laughs> this is not the plan. This uh, evolves, if you will, in the New Testament as stop sinning so you can get mercy. Grace. Knock that off. <laughs> we don't need additional grace by sinning. Let's just not sin. Then we don't need that. At this time, it's stop sinning because I told you to. Well, that didn't work. So how about I give you grace? Guess what? That doesn't work either. Why? Because our hearts are idol factories. All we do is pursue away from God. We need the Holy Spirit to regenerate and fix us every day. That is what the rebuke of God is intended to do. It may not be pleasant. It will be proportionate. And its intent is to restore us to right standing with Him. We're supposed to come to ourselves. I don't want to do this any longer. If you lead others to ignore God, be prepared for even more rebuke. Careful what you wish for. A lot of people want to be in charge. They want to run for office in their church. They want to stand up and be revered and, and treated with reverence and awe. The, the great elder, the statesman, the pastor, the, the leader of the church, and this, that, and the other. If you desire power and fame of leadership but little else, watch out. Don't believe me? Read the Bible. Lots of people do this, and it never ends well for them. God is furious as false teachers lead people astray. If your desire is power and fame, that's where they are here, it'll show. They'll be subtly teaching everybody else the same thing. It's a competition. You're trying to outgive one another. We'll put a gold star on the wall. Whoever gave the best sacrifices uh, gets the place of honor. Ooh. Guess what happens? More sacrifices. Today's sacrifice is sponsored by... Bob the Blacksmith. Oh, congratulations. Thanks, Bob. Oh, I got my name up there as well. It's another, another sponsorship. No one has any time for God or his teaching because we're too busy building a world that we think is great, uh, helping other people, leading them into this, this machine of getting famous and being well-known and regarded. There's a number of people. You won't hear very much about them. Great teachers that got famous and had to just walk away from all of it and strive away from it. If you know the name Paul Washer, he, uh, he has some really interesting interviews. Where they want to bring him out and they want to take him to all these places. He's had an impact in so many people's lives. John Piper. Why don't you see John Piper doing all these things? Why isn't he famous? Well, he doesn't want to be. has no interest in that. I'll do what I do. As long as I can align it with the work of God, great. But what I have to be very cautious of is it affecting my ministry or my walk. If I get too caught up in that. 
then it'll take over. And I don't want that. I don't desire the power and fame, but if you get to a place where you get a little taste of that, you may find that you do desire that. And if you think that the world around you doesn't want to watch a church completely implode as a pastor or leaders or the congregation begins to seek things other than God, feeling good about it, then you're wrong because that's exactly what the world wants. It's what the enemy's all about. He wants to take us and keep diverting us away from God a little bit at a time, but never staying on track. Make this appealing over here. And what about that over there? I know when it comes to things like false teachers, you're going to look around and say, man, how come, what, where's the rebuke right now? There may not be a rebuke now, but know that judgment is coming. <laughs> no one's going to get by God on this. I mention it all the time, but he's not shuffling papers like, you do who, what? Who's Joel Osteen? I didn't hear about that. Wait a minute, what false teacher? Well, hold on. Prosperity gospel? Oh, no. Hold on. I haven't been able to get to my rebuke. That's not God. This is all well in hand. Judgment's coming. But the last part here is know that we have a priest better than Levi who can restore. Now, this is the good news. As we go through this, and you feel like, oh, man, what's the point? What's the hope? I've seen a million corrupt churches. I've left churches because of corruption. I don't think this is going to get any better. I don't disagree. But unlike Levi, unlike me and Mike, there is a perfect priest. That's Jesus Christ. He never let anybody down, never led anybody astray, never taught a, a false thing in any kind, in any, there's zero. There's no error in what Christ did. He not only kept the, the commands that God had given all of man, but he overcame death. Levi was a man of peace. This is God's own word here, but Jesus is the prince of peace. Levi was a man of peace, but Jesus is the prince of peace of peace. If there's peace, Jesus is in charge of it. It's not too late to repent and believe in the gospel. If there's anything that you hear today out of this entire message, be that, please. It is not too late to repent and believe in the gospel. The wrath and curse of God was born in full by Christ. Everything we're looking at here, these are all shadows of things to come. You made mistakes, priests. You've made huge mistakes. You're far from me. You don't want to come home. So be it. Then I'll cast you far from myself, and you're going to revel in that. But Christ took care of all that. Wherever you are today, if you repent and you believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it's all washed away. If you're tired of pretending, treading water, whatever, you know, any of this stuff, just can't do it anymore. There's good news that Christ is active in our lives and in the world around us. It's not on pause. We don't serve a Savior that is still in the tomb waiting to be resurrected. He's alive. At the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, commanding angels. I mean, it's, it's real and it's life-changing. And he seeks to restore all of his sheep to the flock. There's nobody that God has picked that's going to get away. Nobody. So what about us? Church, learn, live, and share the Word of God. They can talk all day about behaving right, doing good things, and this and that and the other, and tricks and tips and tricks of being a better Christian. and That's fine. But if it's not in the Word of God, it's not that important. And if you're not doing what you ought to, it's not too late to turn that around. If you're hearing the words today, now we're talking about right out of Romans. There's grace, another day, another breath. There's a chance to more time to spend with God. 
more time to square it up, to knock off the things that are separating us from Him and separating us from one another. If you're taking advantage of people in the name of God, stop right now. Can't urge it strongly enough. If you decide to step away from a congregation because of this and they give you some grief, call Mike and I. We'll get on the phone and say, hey, we're the one that told them to do it. Churches have, don't need poor leaders. And, and leaders that have, have put a wedge between themselves and God or have gotten themselves in a place where they feel like they can't come back. And by leaders, I mean anybody in the church. If you know anybody that you're talking to and you've, I've painted a bad picture, I've done it wrong. Repent. That first bullet, the second bullet, still apply. And finally, if you're just tired of being tired, have I got a Savior for you? If you just can't do it anymore. If you've tried every trick under the sun and I just cannot stay, I can't do it. It's too much. Jesus Christ can fix that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you for the Word. Thank you for the challenges that are in the Word. I thank you for a double-edged sword that uh, cuts right to the, at least for me, Lord, cuts right to the heart. I know there's things I have to do better. There's things I've got to repent of and I've got to make sure that my eyes are on you. Not on me, not on my family or friends or my church or fame or prosperity or any of that, Lord. We stay focused on you. We do what we've been called to do. And you will take care of the rest. You'll take care of us. We talked in our small group that we, we know that you are for us, so who could be against us? But what does it mean to have you for us, Lord? And I'm, I'm quite sure that in our heart of hearts, what we want is we want to be closer to you. If there's something in our lives that's drawing us away from you, that's not you being for us. That's us being for us and not for you. So, Lord, as we sing this, uh, this song of invitation, meditation, Lord, I pray that we say these words, we sing these words, we mean these words. We're tired of trying to do it ourselves. We're tired of the mess that our heart has become. We know if we're left to our own devices that we're just going gonna, gonna to screw it all up, Lord. We need you so badly. Thank you for the promise of eternal life. Thank you for the sacrifice of your sons and your sons in my prayer. Amen.